live from Earth. It's Space Radio. This is Paul Sutter. And coming up, we're talking about Freeman No More. And of course, taking listener questions about all things in this beautiful universe, because that's what this show is about. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. And you can follow along online or leave a voicemail. Go to spaceradioshow.com for all the links that you need. And in today's Blue Shift, I'll be talking about let's die in space together. But first, the news. Hey, space cadets, welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Stony Brook University and the Flatiron Institute. And for the next half hour, your agent to the stars. We've got an exciting show for you today where we talk about all the amazing and beautiful and wondrous things in our universe. This show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here in Spaceman Studios in New York City. So leave a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com to get yourself on the air. You can also follow along with our space cadets tuning in live from around the world, including but not limited to New York City, Howell, New Jersey, Washington, D.C., Accrington, U.K., I don't know if these cities are real. Darmstadt, Germany, you're just making things up now, space cadets. I know it. And of course, Pell City, Alabama, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Christchurch, New Zealand, Duluth, Minnesota, and Halifax, England, and plenty more places around the globe and maybe outside the globe. I mean, it is a radio show after all. We will take questions that you send to the live streams. You can get those links on spaceradioshow.com. Seriously, folks, I've only prepped less than four minutes basically none of the show okay so get those questions in before i start taking questions i wanted to share some interesting bits of news i caught recently and the physics and mathematics community are mourning a massive loss this week a physicist and mathematician and general all-around smart guy, Freeman Dyson, passed away after over a century of life and decades and decades of fundamental research into how the universe works. One of the most fascinating things about Freeman Dyson is that he never got a PhD. He he just didn't bother. And the reason he didn't get a PhD, in his own words, which is so awesome, The reason he didn't get a PhD is he said, what, in order to get a PhD, you have to work on one problem, one problem for at least three years. How could I possibly work on only one problem for three years? No way am I going to do that. Besides, a lot of his major accomplishments were happening in the 50s when he was only in his mid-20s. This guy was like 24 and making major contributions to mathematics and then physics. He started out as a mathematician and then went into physics and especially in high energy and theoretical physics, which is kind of sort of basically just theoretical mathematics. He made some major contributions in helping us understand the quantum world. The quantum world is the world of the very, very small. In the 1920s and 30s, we first began to open up this quantum door, uh, understanding subatomic processes. But going from the 
simple uh, cases that were studied in the 20s and 30s to like real life applications of quantum mechanics was proving incredibly difficult. And physicists were getting stuck, just straight up stuck. They didn't know where to go. Nothing was making sense. Then a bunch of scientists started to piece together the clues in what Freeman Dyson realized his major contribution was that the different strategies that physicists were developing to solve this problem of applying quantum mechanics to real world problems that looked totally different and and incompatible were actually very, very intimately connected. And with that, everyone realized that we're all good. It's all gravy. We're all on the right track. And then quantum mechanics could proceed laying the groundwork for something we now call the standard model of particle physics, which is our fundamental understanding of a vast majority of the universe. And so Freeman Dyson was one of the people who played a critical role in unlocking that. He also did some very, very major advances in mathematics and number theory that I'm not even going to pretend to understand. So I'm just going to slide right by and trust other people when they say it was major. Freeman Dyson is most well known in the public imagination because he was a, a very a, he was just a thinker. He just loved to think. He loved to challenge orthodoxy and he loved to just if he had a thought and he could back it up, boom, he'd make it public. And one of those ideas was something called the Dyson sphere, where he said if you're going to be an advanced species, you're going to want all that energy coming from the star. So you are going to block as much light as possible from that star and use it to harvest energy, creating something we call a Dyson sphere. Turns out we haven't seen any Dyson spheres at all. So it either means Dyson was wrong and that's not what aliens prefer to do, or there's no one else home. I'll let you decide, or maybe we'll talk about it later on in the show. But that was actually one of his most minor contributions to physics and mathematics. So the world is mourning and we can we can mourn along with them. Uh, Dyson, Freeman Dyson was certainly, certainly a unique and brilliant thinker. That's the latest and greatest when it comes to space. It's time to have a conversation. We've got a voicemail ready to go. Remember, you can leave your own voicemail and get your voice and question on the show. You go to spaceradioshow.com and there's a little button-y thing that you press and you speak into your computer and then it ends up on the airwaves. It really is as simple as that. We take questions from around the world. So, Greg, play the tape. Hi, Paul. It's Steve in Aberdeen, Scotland. I have a couple of questions regarding the fabric of space-time. We've all seen the model whereby an elastic sheet is stretched and has a weight placed on it, which gives a lovely clear visualization of how space-time is distorted by a mass. My first question is this. If we place a small mass, say a grain of dust, in the center of the universe, and let's ignore all other masses for this question, would the distortion of the fabric of space-time caused by this tiny mass really extend to the edge of the universe or would it diminish to zero at some distance due to some granularity in the properties of space-time my second question is this i've heard that the fabric of space-time can be distorted by an effect 
called frame dragging experienced in the vicinity of rotating black holes. My question in this regard is this. Has anyone devised any practical experiments to determine the properties of space-time? Oh, wow. What amazing questions. I love both these questions. The first question, I mean, this is about gravity. This is about space-time. This is about fundamental reality here, which I love. And the very first question is about if I were to have a tiny, 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 tiny little grain of sand, and it was all alone in the universe, how far does its gravitational influence spread? Yes, even a tiny grain of sand has some gravitational influence because it has mass. How far does it go? In general relativity, which is our understanding of how gravity works, the influence of gravity from one object to another extends to infinity. If there is a dust grain on the other side of the universe, you technically feel the gravitational pull of that dust grain. It really does go into infinity, but it is incredibly small. It is so small, you can never hope to measure it with any device ever, but it is still technically there as far as we understand it because our understanding of gravity comes from general relativity. Any attempts we've made to extend our understanding of gravity past relativity to replace it with something or do something new have completely failed and completely fallen apart. So the only thing we've got going for us is relativity. And relativity does say that gravitational influence goes on forever. So you sitting right here feel technically is incredibly and infinitesimally small, but it's there. You feel the gravitational influence of all the stars in the sky, all the galaxies in the universe, that grain of sand on the opposite side of the universe, you know, 40 billion light years away. You feel its gravitational influence and it feels yours. The other question is something regarding something called frame dragging, where if you plop a massive object like the earth or the sun or a black hole and you start it spinning, it will literally drag space time around with it. Like the visual I like to have is when you put a big heavy coffee table in the middle of a room on, on a big rug. And then if you were to spin that coffee table, spin that massive object, it would spin the rug with it. It would twist it up. We have had experiments that have attempted to measure this directly, something called the gravity probe B. Don't ask what happened to gravity probe A. But gravity probe B tried to measure this. It claims to have a, a measurement of the frame dragging effect around the Earth. This measurement is disputed because it's very, very weak. Not everyone buys it. You know, there are some party poopers out there. That said, we do believe that frame dragging does play a role in the accretion disks of material as they fall onto the most massive black holes in the galaxy. In the universe, we believe that material does get spun up because of this frame dragging effect. So we have not directly observed it, but indirectly observed this frame dragging effect. It agrees with everything we know about general relativity, so we think it's on the money. 
but the direct observations of it, direct measurements of it around the earth are a little bit questionable. Personally, I think they're fine. <sighs> but some people are just going to be picky. I mean, who am I talking? I get picky about so many things. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got to take a little break, folks. This show is brought to you by you. Please go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can support the show. And stay tuned to the end of the show for a very, very special offer. See you after the break. Support for Space Radio on 90.5 WCBE comes from Thompson Hine, a business law firm serving clients for more than a century. Thompson Hine provides innovative client service through SmartPath, a smarter way to work, predictable, efficient, and aligned with client goals. More information about the firm at thompsonhine.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got so many more questions, more questions than I can possibly answer, which is why I love this. But remember, you can join the conversation by leaving a voicemail or by joining the Space Cadets on the live stream. Go to spaceradioshow.com for the links. Now, speaking of the Space Cadets, we're going to start off with Edward Hinton over on YouTube asking... Even if the universe is teeming with life, are we still in effect alone, like being stuck on a desert island or in solitary confinement with no way of contacting others? Here's the thing, Edward, you are on the right track. The universe could have, even our galaxy, could have thousands of intelligent spacefaring civilizations and we would never know about it. Why? Because space is big. This is why we call it space, because there's a lot of it. There's room to move. Communication goes at the speed of light, which is achingly slow at interstellar distances. Travel, communication, evidence of alien life, it's just slow, slow, slow. There could be civilizations blasting radio waves just a hundred light years away and we wouldn't hear a thing because the radio waves just get washed out by the general galactic noise happening in the radio spectrum. The universe could have a lot of life. Our galaxy could have a lot of life. But because of the extreme distances involved, we are in effect alone. This is how I like to think about it, that no, we're not alone in the universe. There are other intelligent creatures out there, but for all intents and purposes, we are alone. Matthew DeFleury over on YouTube asking, do you like blue cheese? Once again, I'm, I need to ask this. So the answer is yes, of course I like blue cheese. At the end of every show, it's not included in the radio broadcast or the podcast, at the end of every show on the live stream, I eat cheese every single week. One cheese almost killed me because it, was, it had gone bad. Another cheese almost killed me because it was too spicy. It's an adventure every time. Luke Duke on YouTube is asking, like it's redshifted because of the expansion of the universe. So some energy seems to disappear into nothing. And then we have dark energy that seems to come from nothing and cause the expansion. Is there a connection between the two nothings? Uh, no, there isn't. But I can see this perplexion because we're all taught in high school that energy cannot be created or destroyed. 
Okay, that's high school physics. Now we're on to college level physics, people. We're gonna be more sophisticated here. We have to get it, we have to go one step beyond. And when you go one step beyond, energy cannot be created or destroyed. That is only applicable in certain situations, especially situations that don't depend on time, that don't evolve or change with time. The universe as a whole evolves and changes with time in that setup with a universe that is expanding and changing and evolving energy can be created and destroyed at will energy can be pulled from radiation that gets redshifted boom no big deal energy can be created in the form of dark energy as the universe expands boom it's no big deal because it's different out there this ain't high school anymore pal luke (laughs) we gotta do grown-up science now this is grown-up physics this is freeman dyson level physics all right i'm not personally insulting you that's a very very valid and very common question my answer is uh just get over it Gordon Lee is asking the dimming and brightness of Beetlejuice. If you haven't heard Beetlejuice, this star is getting brighter and dimmer with time. It was getting dimmer. It was the dimmest it's been in like a century or something. And now it's getting brighter again. Is that something that happens all the time? And they had talked about it, maybe going supernova. Just what's going on? Great question. Big giant stars. Beetlejuice is a big giant star. Very in brightness all the time. They get brighter, they get dimmer. Sometimes there's cyclical behavior that repeated patterns that we see. Sometimes it's nothing of the sort. Something sometimes it's totally random. This dip in brightness that we recently saw over the past few weeks that does seem to be new we hadn't seen a sharp decrease in brightness like that in a long time or ever uh, but now it seemed as plateaued and now it's starting to brighten again beetlejuice will go supernova at some point in the future it is a red giant star it is fusing heavy elements in its core it is near the end of its life but near means within, say, a million years, okay? There's nothing unlikely to happen tomorrow or next week or in our human lifetimes. This is interstellar. This is astrophysics. This is not happening on human timescales. The dimming and brightening that we see in Betelgeuse is just typical for a star near the end of its life. It is not signal or herald a pending apocalypse of Betelgeuse. If Betelgeuse were to go supernova, we'd be fine. It'd be incredibly bright. It'd be brighter, uh, maybe as bright or brighter than the moon for a couple weeks. You could read a book by the light of this dying star, which is pretty cool. It'd be visible in the daytime too, but it would not affect us here on earth. It would not affect life. It would not be a danger. Last question, Evan on YouTube is asking, do you think people going into coming back from Mars will bring back a space germ? Is there a Martian coronavirus out there just waiting to infect humanity? In all honesty, it's unlikely, deeply unlikely, for several reasons. One, we don't even know if Mars is has ever had life we don't know if that life has survived to the present day and we don't even know if that life is capable is like even compatible with us on a genetic level with the life that developed on earth 
it's still possible. We can't rule it out until we like dig around some Martian dust some more, but it is so highly unlikely. That said, space agencies do care about this. We don't want to contaminate any potential sites with our Earth germs. And then, especially as we're trying to hunt for life and trying to understand life, we, we don't want to dig up a sample of soil and go, wow, Mars is full of life. And then we, it turns out it's, you know, it's just yeast from the bread machine uh, that got stuck on the rover's wheels. OK, we, we want to make sure it's legit Martian life. So that's what we're more concerned about. Not Mars getting us sick, but us getting Mars sick. We're the danger, folks. We're the one with the coronavirus, not Mars. OK. Thank you, Space Cadets, for all those amazing questions. We're almost out of time today on Space Radio, but before we go, it's time for the Blue Shift. I'm Paul Sutter, and you're listening to Space Radio, and this is the Blue Shift, my opportunity to get a little bit closer to you. And what I want to talk about is plug, 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 advertise something cool and new that I'm doing. I have a new book coming out. It's releasing nationwide, bookstores nationwide, also Amazon. It's called How to Die in Space, A Journey Through Dangerous Astrophysical Phenomena. It is hilarious. I mean, I'm not going to tell you if you think it's funny or not. I'm telling you that I found the book to be hilarious as I was typing it. I was like, (laughs) that's pretty funny line, Paul. I may or may not have literally done that as I wrote the book. I entertained myself in the process of writing the book, so I hope that that entertainment is infectious. Where can you find the book? Great question. Glad I asked. You can find the book at bookstores nationwide starting June 2nd. You can also find it on Amazon. It is available for pre-order, both the Kindle edition and the hardcover edition, eBooks, all that. It is available for pre-order. Here's another way to get the book. Go to patreon.com slash PM Sutter right now. Contribute. Join the Space Cadets. The Space Cadets are the crew that keeps all my outreach and media efforts going. Contribute 10 bucks a month. That's it. Just you press the button where you sign up for 10 bucks a month. Do that now. Do that before the end of March because you got to do it for three months in a row. You got to do it through March, April, and May. Boom. Three months. That's 30 bucks total. At the end of that, May, I'm going to send you an autographed copy of the book. That's it. That's it. Now, after that, you can continue being a Patreon if you want, which I greatly appreciate it. Or you can pull back and say, I just wanted the free book. Fine by me. Be a supporter at at least $10 a month or higher through March, April, and May. I will mail you anywhere in the world an autographed, personalized copy of my new book, How to Die in Space, A Journey Through Dangerous Astrophysical Phenomena. Go to patreon.com slash, I'm sorry, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash p-m-s-u-t-t-e-r. You can also go to spaceradioshow.com and there's a link right there. It's just that easy, folks. You support this show and I, and I send you a free book. And unfortunately, 
this broadcast is almost done. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of space radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter, and this show is brought to you by you. Same pitch, patreon.com slash Sutter to learn how you can contribute and get a free book. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing, Nancy Graziano for wrangling the space cadets, and all the fine crew at WCBE Radio 90.5 FM in Columbus for making this show possible. Catch the live stream every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern visit spaceradioshow.com for all the links and of course thanks again space cadets for listening see you next week and remember science is for sharing end of transmission